0: So I'm hyperventilating a little bit, if I fall over pick me up because I've got some things to say. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. That men are essential
1: for procreation, but when it comes to pleasure, unnecessary.
0: Dinosaurs eat man, woman inherits the earth.
1: Safety lights are for dudes. Safety lights are
0: for dudes. <laughs> well, put some skates on, be around here. Hang the near, Kristen. Please give it up for the dazzling vocal stylings of Miss Skimmer.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 91 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where two awesome ladies don't agree about everything, but we do agree that men suck i am karen peterson and this is my co-host lauren humphreys brooks
0: <laughs> Uh hello yes men yet again god
1: oh yeah men
0: <laughs> hey lauren guess what
1: what today at the time that we are recording this not at the time y'all are listening but at the time that we are recording this this is the two-year anniversary of citizen dame's very first episode
0: Wow, uh, we were so young then
1: We were so young, so young and So impressionable I know Do you know that in episode number four Was the episode where we broke the Harvey Weinstein news
0: Oh my god
1: So it's only fitting that he'll be back in the news this week, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, (laughs) First of all, we finally have a winner for our What's in the Bag contest. Y'all have been so patiently waiting and we want to thank everybody who participated. We are very excited to announce the winner and Lauren, why don't you go ahead and tell us who that is?
0: So the winner of the What's in the Bag contest is Lucy Champagne at Dame Belle Rose. So, Lucy, congratulations, and we will be getting in touch with you uh, before this episode is even aired. So you will know that you have won uh what's in the bag thanks to everybody who participated in this it it, it was fun and we're, we're sorry it took a little while to pick a uh, a winner thank you to nanina for reminding us
1: <laughs> yeah we had some confusion and things going on we've been super crazy busy and then with with everything happening with uh with the podcast in general it's just we we apologize that that got delayed but um yep lucy just let us know where to send it and we will be getting that on on it's way to you so congratulations again and thank you everybody you're all awesome we love you um and so let's get into some things and people that we don't love
0: <laughs>
1: um actually before we do that lauren how are you
0: i'm good i'm good i'm a little tired i went to uh, mst3k live last <gasps> night which fun. was so much fun yeah so much fun like just an absolute trip my my roommate, uh my roommate big shout out to nate hood who who got me tickets for my birthday but then also went wearing he had a uh he has a gizmonics institute jumpsuit and a tom servo puppet and the he was just totally popular so like there are a lot of people with pictures of him on instagram <laughs> right now <laughs> that's
1: awesome um,
0: it was great. It was loads of fun. It was funny, and it was it was really cool to see them live. That sounds so
1: fun. I saw them do a panel at Salt Lake Comic Con a couple years ago when they announced that they were going to be bringing back the show. Mm-hmm. And um, they are just so funny. So They really are. That's awesome. I am very tired. I was just telling Lauren off air. I've I did four events this week. Well, two of them were screenings, but it's it's a lot when you have a day job and then you have to go try to fit this stuff in at night. But on Monday, I went to, I went with Kristen, actually. Um, I was not invited, so I was her plus one. Uh, NBC kicked off their, their comedy lineup with um, just a party, and it not just a party, with a party. And so it was the night of comedy all-stars, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, There were a bunch of people that we saw that we didn't get a chance to talk to. It was like, oh, hey, there's Terry Crews over there. And then when I turned around, he was gone. So I don't know what happened there. Um, But we met Fran Drescher. We met Steven Weber. We met Anna Camp from the Pitch Perfect movies uh yeah it was it was a lot of fun oh nico santos who's on superstore and he was also oliver in crazy rich asians he is so funny
0: oh Uh, yeah i love him yeah
1: yeah he's great he's great he he actually is a lot like oliver (laughs) (laughs) and so it was just really fun to just hang out and chat with him for a bit so um our friend jazz was there too so we just all had a blast it was it was a good time So that was fun. And then I saw a couple movies this week. I saw Judy. And we'll talk about that when it gets closer to release. But I think that's coming out actually pretty soon. Mm -hmm. And then um, I think I'm allowed to talk about it. I don't think it's still under embargo. I think they just didn't want everybody to know that they weren't all invited to the screening. But I did see Joker this week. So we will definitely (sighs) be having a lot to talk about when that movie comes up comes out but uh yeah they they got me into a screening because i was interviewing the composer and i cannot pronounce her name she's icelandic and she's really sweet and i was like how did someone so sweet as you write the music for that movie (laughs) but (laughs) but um but it was one of those things like oh yay female composer this is rad you know so i definitely wanted to talk to her but i definitely have opinions about the movie and I'm just going to leave it at we have not been wrong. <laughs> so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, God. You know, I said this on Twitter the other day, but that really is a movie that I don't actually want to see, but I do want to participate in the discourse surrounding uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. So I know that I have to see it, and I'm just, I'm already tired.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it's one of those things where as I was watching it, I was like, do I really want the burden of dealing with having written a review for this. <laughs> 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 I have seen what's been happening to some of our colleagues out in the industry, and I don't think I want to put up with that, honestly. I mean...
0: But but isn't that terrifying? Yeah. I mean, that's that's like, you know, I, I was actually talking with my parents about this because they were asking me about Joker specifically and about fan culture, and I was trying to explain to them what was going on. And just even in explaining it, I was like, God, this is stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, this this is a movie, you guys. Like, I know movies are important and they they have cultural impact and all that's really important, but there is no reason to get as worked up as some people have been getting, particularly surrounding this movie. And, like, no critic should be like, I'm concerned about reviewing it because I'm concerned about what the response is going to be.
1: Right, right, exactly. And it's, it is stupid. And it's like... What's really dumb is this is the same crowd that is like, it's just a movie when it's their thing. <laughs> but when it's, yeah, they, they're they so, they're such hypocrites, but, and the thing is, it's not just like, oh, I just don't want people to yell at me online. It's no, I know people who've been getting death threats and I've seen the death threats. So it's one person, someone went and found some court documents of some legal proceedings against them from a few years ago and posted those online. It's really terrible stuff that's happening. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff I don't want to deal with. And so, it's, do I bother? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I'll decide. I've got a couple of weeks. but <laughs> Wow. Yeah. And it's like, it really is just a movie, guys. It's just a movie and you're allowed to love it. And if I say I hate it, that doesn't mean that I'm saying that you're bad for loving it. It just I disagree with you, and I question but why lo- you love it.
0: <laughs> a lot of these people can't possibly have even seen the film yet, right? No, they haven't. That's that's the other thing. Yeah, like you're you're talking about people who are mad at you know mixed reviews or bad reviews or reviews with questions in them and they and the people who are getting pissed off about it haven't even seen the movie yet right so it's it really does not bode well and you know I, I know that a number I, I know that a number of our male colleagues have faced kind of similar things but I think that this kind of points out why women and minorities are so frightened of certain elements mm-hmm. in fan culture and in film culture that this is just like guys this is what we're dealing with this is why we're frightened of this film. Exactly. And, you know, and it doesn't even... It's not necessarily about the quality of the film itself. It's about the reaction and the attitude surrounding it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and the fact that we can't just have a civil conversation about why this works, what doesn't work about it, exactly what it is that frightens us with the movie like this, the fact that we can't have those conversations is exactly... Why a movie like this, I still question whether it should be out there why why whether it should exist because I just don't think that I just don't think that a giant segment of the population and this isn't this isn't most people, this isn't the vast majority, but there are a lot of people out there that are making it that are perfectly illustrating all of the problems that we have. And that's why I say and that's why we've been saying for weeks that sometimes it's really irresponsible to to put certain out, art out at certain times because mm-hmm. you have to be able to understand what that's gonna do to our society and this is one of them and I'm definitely not well, I'm not interested in seeing it again. I'm honestly I am glad that I've seen it now so that I do know what people are talking about but uh, and so I can participate in the, the conversation about it, but I don't know that I would want to go see this at a public screening in a public place. The theater I saw it at was like super secretive. There was no indication of what we were watching inside, but, uh, I don't know that I'd want to go see this out in public and deal with people out in the real world watching this movie. And that is mm-hmm. terrifying. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, let's talk about some happy things. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Um, well, let's just get right on into the garbage, men.
0: Which happy things? <laughs> there are none.
1: There are none. The world is a bleak and sad, dire place. and uh... <sighs> We're just struggling to get through it. No. We do have some happy news coming, but let's get the garbage taken out first. Um... I don't know if you heard but Harvey Weinstein's life is
0: ruined. Ruined, <laughs> I say. Well, I mean that is a happy thing actually. Exactly. <laughs> in its own in its own way. It's just like, "Oh no, oh poor baby. You mean you mean you can't you can't rape and gaslight people anymore." Oh no. Ah, oh, it sucks to be you. Yeah. Um
1: there was an article that came out this week. I didn't act- Oh, I didn't include it on in the agenda, but I think it was The Hollywood Reporter, and yeah. it was the quote it said Harvey Le- Harvey Weinstein says his life is ruined, and so I retweeted that with a, the with a gif from uh, Revenge of the Sith. It just is Obi-Wan Kenobi going, you have done that yourself! And it's <laughs> like, yeah, he kind of is Darth Vader in some ways, except for he's not redeemable. But, um, yeah, harvey weinstein like first of all the fact that we're still talking about him it's been two years he still hasn't gone to trial that keeps you know getting kicked down the road but he still i mean what consequences has he faced he lost his company which good because everybody who worked for him was apparently miserable because he's a tyrant he's not out in the world harassing people anymore but he's still living in his house maybe he can't go out in public as freely but like i really what about his life is ruined
0: well i i think that it's pretty indicative that his lawyer and that his attitude was like oh his life has been ruined i think that one of the quotes that she had was was like um he can't be harvey weinstein anymore (laughs) and it's like yeah he can't because everybody knows in the first place because everyone knows what a horrible human being Harvey Weinstein is. So, and we should know that. And we're glad that we know that now, you know, it, it's, you know, maybe we'll get some redress for him. Yeah. I mean, I want to see the guy in prison. I don't know if we're ever actually going to get that. But the fact that he is deeply unhappy makes me happy, <laughs> gives me joy, because I know that like he he caused the suffering of so many people in so many different ways um and it's good that he is not able to do that anymore that he's not in that position of power like and the fact that he that you know he obviously thinks that this is the ruination of his life you know whereas he's destroyed the careers of numerous people he has caused all kinds of harm to all of these different women who were harassed by him or who were raped by him and you know and the lasting psychological issues that are a part of that the lasting trauma that's a part of that and the big thing that like has ruined his life is oh i can't do that anymore um yeah fuck him like i he deserves absolutely everything that he gets
1: yeah absolutely i mean it's it's bad enough that, I mean, sexual assault and abuse, that is a lifelong sentence for the victim. It just is. You don't ever get away from it completely. Uh, it gets easier to deal with in a lot of cases, but it never goes away. And setting that aside which I don't want to, but, you know, setting that aside and just looking at other aspects, like you mentioned, he ruined careers just because they said no to him and not just about sex. Like he ruined careers of people who said no to, you know, certain projects and things that they just didn't feel comfortable with. So he destroyed people's lives that way. And now because he just doesn't get to run his company and have free reign to do whatever he wants to do that's his version of his life being ruined with no regard for anything he's done to anybody in the 40 years or so 50 years that he worked in the industry it's disgusting
0: yeah i i think that there was even recently it may not have been a a terribly recent article but i i began seeing it again was uh, an article about gwyneth paltrow and the fact that when they were originally doing all of the investigation of weinstein and kind of beginning to expose things the investigators kept on being asked like weinstein kept on getting really upset are they talking to gwyneth and what came out was that she had been harassed by him she had said no to him right and had not been and had not had her career elevated as a result of saying yes to him in any way but that he had been using her as to basically get women to sleep with him um, and to get women to do things for him because, the, and he kept on using the idea of like, uh, don't you want to be like Gwyneth? And what he was frightened of was that once this got exposed, once someone talked to her and she was like, no, I never slept with him um, that that would create this ripple effect, basically, that all of the women who had been promised these things because of her would suddenly be like, oh my God, he, he lied this entire time. Like he hadn't, he had just used her as an example of someone that he hadn't even slept with. And it was just so horrific. And so like, he was that afraid that he would get found out about his relationship with Gwyneth Paltrow—that it had just been a lie the entire time—beyond anything else, just like how, how, what a horrible human being! Like, how can you be such a terrible person? It's insane. It really
1: is. And I just—the fact that there are people out there like that—is it's terrifying. Again, use that word. But you know, it's it's just so. It's so scary that... the and, and the thing is, I keep thinking about... Last year at Cannes, I think it was Aja d'Argento, Argento, who um, said that there were more. We got Harvey and... and um, yeah. And, you know, and she said there's something like there were four more. And then Ronan Farrow hasn't been doing anything for a while publicly. And it's like, because you know he's still working on stuff. And... So it's like, who else is still out there that's still doing these atrocious things to people just because they haven't been able to finish bringing them down? Mm-hmm. It's it's really scary to think about that.
0: I mean, I I hope and I like to think that, that some of these men are frightened mm-hmm. and that recognize the fact that they are going to be found out. And and Weinstein, in a certain sense, is a good example. One of the, one of the things I wanted to talk about was this issue of, like, quote, cancel culture right yeah and how many and how few people are actually ever truly canceled you know it's not like their lives are totally destroyed it's not like they go to prison even though they should um but someone like Weinstein is a good example of this can actually destroy his career right this has destroyed his career he's cannot work anymore um, that has not, you know, taken away any of his money. That has not put him in jail or anything like that. You know, we'll, we'll wait and see what ultimately ha- happens with all of that. But um, it does say that, and that's one of the things that these men are afraid of. They're afraid of losing their power. They're not necessarily afraid of being punished, but they're afraid of losing something. And so hopefully Weinstein will be a good example of like, if you keep on acting like this, you're going to get found out. Like someone is going to figure out what is going on and you are going to lose your power. And that, if that is the punishment that they fear, good. I hope that they're living in fear. Um, And, and that, that would be the good side of all of this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's, It's funny, because whenever this whole idea of cancel culture comes up, I'm always like, who's really canceled? The only ones I can think of are maybe Harvey Weinstein, who still hasn't actually faced any consequences for any of his actions. So it's like there's still that possibility. I really do think he's done. I don't think people are going to let him back in. I think people are really glad to be rid of his tyranny. So that's good. And then Bill Cosby. Other than that, who's really canceled? i mean even oj simpson has followers on twitter so it's like <laughs> you know? well yeah and
0: and and then it becomes the issue of like what is the what are the legal processes behind it and what are the um, the social the moral ones and one of the things that we've talked about in terms of and i i i hate the term cancel culture but saying like oh people are canceled people are canceled for racism and for sexism and for misogyny and for violence and for all kinds of things um And like the legal part of that is one side the social part of it is another and the social part is something that we all actually have some control over Mm -hmm. and we've talked about it numerous times before we talked about it last week in in discussing Roman Polanski and Nate Parker Um, we have the ability to choose who we accept as artists who we accept um, as a part of the industry and who we don't we can simply stop some of these guys solely by refusing to pay for them, solely by refusing to give them any of our attention or any of our money, and particularly our money, because that's really what they want. Um, and that is important. And But this this whole idea that, like, you can... That, you know, we're unfairly canceling people for not too major things. You know, the most recent one is, and I honestly cannot, still cannot remember his name because he was barely existent. <laughs> um, the the dude who just got fired from SNL, who, hired, who got hired and then fired from SNL because he's a fucking racist. That's like, Shane Gillis. Shane Gillis. All right. There we go. Yeah. I mean, like, seriously, I kept on seeing pictures of him and I was like why are all of the boring white men like getting gigs i don't understand this guy is just so boring um but but so so something something like that you know oh that's cancel cars She's just like no he said really horrifically racist things and then a, a company decided that they didn't want to hire him because of the really horrifically racist things that he said that's a totally legitimate response. That's called—I mean, you know—if you wanted to say talk about it in capitalist terms, that's called supply and demand. You know, we no longer demand that. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. That is the market. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that I think that the problem with that term, cancel culture, is that it implies that we're just out looking to get rid of people, and that's not it at all. We're, you know when certain things come up when certain people come up and they're they're problematic people yeah i want them to not we've talked about this before too nobody has a right to work in entertainment nobody has a right to a job in you know on SNL or running a big entertainment studio and company nobody has the right to do those things and so when you're taking advantage or displaying terrible behavior toward an entire group of people then yeah you need to go away and that's not because we're just looking for like oh I just don't like Shane Gillis's face let's cancel him it's not like that it's not it's not arbitrary and it's not just for fun and so that's I think the problem with that term is it seems like we're just kind of oh we just want to cancel everybody and cancel everything and we're just trying to clean things up that's all
0: yeah, it, it, it implies that the things that people are being, again, quotation marks, canceled for are minor things, right? right? That's like, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's just like, no, using racial slurs is a big deal. Being a misogynist is a big deal. Being a sexual abuser is a big deal. These are not minor things. These are not things that are just like, well, I made a mistake, you know, and yeah. I and you know, and, and we've talked about it just in terms of the the whole culture. Sometimes I saw recently a quote from Bill Maher that was talking, who should have been canceled a thousand years ago. I don't know why people are still watching him. Um, but Bill Bill Maher talking about like, oh Brett Kavanaugh, I'm like, whoa, what did you do when you were seventeen? It's just like, well, I wasn't raping people, right? Like, I I didn't I. And in fact most of the people that I know weren't doing that either like what were you doing when you were 17 mm-hmm. this whole idea that this is normal or that like behaving like this is just a normal part of life is is an inc- incredibly privileged but is also just very disturbing that you're like this is not normal you should not be allowed to act like this to say things like this or to behave like this with other people and use an excuse of, like, well, I've changed. It's like, have you, though? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, those videos and pictures
1: surfaced this week of Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, uh, wearing blackface and brownface. And he's like, well, I was a different person back then. It's like, okay, you know, I've lived a long time, and I've never done that. It's very easy to just not (laughs) wear blackface or assault people or be racist in a podcast you know it's very easy to not do those
0: things and yeah this was never this was never okay guys this was never like oh it was my crazy teenage years when i just ran around wearing blackface it's like no i don't think that's a thing that most people do
1: uh nope nope exactly and it's it's from this very It's very weird mindset that justifies things just because, well, it was a different time or I was a different person. It's like, you know what? I'll admit there are probably that I don't remember. There are probably things from my past, things that I've said um, that were not okay. Thank God there wasn't like, you know, video phones and stuff when I was in junior high. But, But the thing is that I would completely denounce that stuff now. If there if there was something that came out that, that, that supposedly I said something, I'd be like, "Wow, that's really terrible, and I am sorry." Not, well, I was a different person back then, you
0: know? Yeah. It's just yeah. different. Also, also there's a difference between what a uh, between a 10-year-old child yeah doing or saying something and I'm sorry, a 17, 18, 19-year-old man. Mm-hmm. Um and and people have talked about this before also of like, you know, when uh, black teenagers are, you know, 15, they're grown ups. But when a, you know, a white man is not a grown up until he's the age of like 40 or something like that. Right. And it, it is that kind of like, well, it was my crazy, you know, my crazy frat boy days. It's just like, okay, no, when you're a frat boy, you're 18, 19 years old. You know the difference between right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, and the fact that you thought that this was an okay thing to do kind of says something about the person certainly says something about the person you were then and probably says something about the person you are now if you're unwilling to own up to that and to be like this was wrong and i'm sorry and i want to take steps to actually repair the damage that i did right um yeah the idea that we were all racist or sexist or whatever at the age of 17 just boggles my mind (laughs) i'm like Mm -hmm. I don't think so. <laughs> like yeah, I don't know, no. but I am pretty positive. No, I, I am certain I have never worn blackface. That is something I, knew I a, am positive about.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I knew a lot of people when I was 17, and I don't remember any of them wearing blackface or being racist <laughs> or going around raping people on accident. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Although, by the way, you just reminded me when you were talking about how we don't Call white men men until they're older. And it just reminded me of something that happened this week, something that just popped up that I saw. And it was about Jake Gyllenhaal and how he still calls Tom Holland kid, even though his he, Tom Holland, is the same age as Gyllenhaal's girlfriend. And he talks about how she's so mature for her age. And it's like, wait a second. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wait, is she a kid or is she an adult? And what's, yeah. Anyway, just a random mm-hmm. side note. <laughs> But, uh, since we're on the subject of garbage people that need to be canceled, um, Kevin Spacey, well, Kevin Spacey's case was back in the news because a second accuser of his died this week. And, I mean, the fact that it's two is nothing to be concerned about, right? That's totally normal for two witnesses and accusers to just disappear from the (laughs) earth, right?
0: Yeah, this is one of the. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I think the conspiracy theories are kind of bizarre and damaging. But it, this is where you get to go like, this is an interesting coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's yeah. very weird. And and at least in in the last article that I read about it, uh, which I believe was in Thr, they mentioned that you know they all that was really said was that he that this man had died. Right. Um, it wasn't clear of what, how, um, this is a, a man who has so far been simply known as John Doe. He is not, so he's been an anonymous accuser and going through all the court system and all the, the issues with this. Uh, so we don't know really anything about it. I believe that the last of Kevin Spacey's accusers to pass away had been hit by a car. Um, so, so that's not a natural death, as it were. That's not like, oh, he was sick and he, you know, he had cancer or whatever, and he he passed away. It's like that's a, that's that's an accident, you know. But it, it is very disturbing that this is happening specifically to the accusers of Kevin Spacey. Yeah, I mean,
1: that's the thing. I'm with you. I'm not a conspiracy theorist like some people are. I think most conspiracy theories are total bullshit, and and it's really easy to come up with stuff and that's part of the problem like you have to there have to be so many people involved in a conspiracy to make them work and it's really hard to get all those people to stay quiet about stuff and so i don't necessarily i don't necessarily think this is a conspiracy but i do think it's it's very weird and also it's uh it's concerning because now this is two people that can't talk about what he did to them, and it's like, first of all, if people do start thinking it's a conspiracy and they're picking off accusers, then anybody else who's still prepared to testify now this could panic them and make them decide not to. Yeah. Uh, whether whether anything's actually happening or not, this can this can freak people out and make them say, you know what, forget it. It's not worth saying anything. Or we just also just have fewer voices in the mix to, to talk about this. So it's like, is it possible now that Kevin Spacey could end up not facing any any consequences? They end up dropping the charges due to lack of witnesses? I mean, who knows what could happen? That's scary in and of itself. So whether it's a conspiracy or not, I don't know. But reading that article from The Hollywood Reporter, it's very clear that whatever this second death was whatever the cause was it was not something that was expected because it talks about the family being in paralyzing grief and they hadn't even had time to make funeral arrangements and stuff that's not a long-term illness that's something that happened very suddenly and and uh it's it's really sad i mean my heart goes out to that family because now they're suffering all over again because first they had to suffer with with this person being a victim and then now in their passing so it's it's just really sad all around um but let's talk about some things that don't suck glow is getting a fourth and final season yay i'm so happy about this why don't you talk a little bit about it because i still need to catch up i've only seen a few episodes i have not watched the whole show
0: oh it's such a good show it Um, is good i love it it. it i just haven't had time it is so good, and and one of the things that I love about Glow that a couple of people have pointed out is that each season actually does stand on its own. Um, like, you could, so I I want to see the resolutions of some things, and I want to see what they do next, but you could actually take this season of Glow and say, okay, that's it, this is the end, um, and that would be okay, and you could have done that with the first season and the second season as well, so I like the fact that over the course of 10 half-hour episodes, you know, per season, you actually do have complete arcs. And there's a sense of completion with each of them, but there's also space to continue continue on with them. This most recent season, I think, really is one of the best. And and one of the reasons for that is that it's expanded some of the more minor characters. It's given more attention to them. It's given attention to a lot of issues that are going on in contemporary Hollywood, Um, and just in, in the way, you know, we talked about hustlers last week, but in the way that, that women relate to their bodies and feel about their own bodies and, and are prized for them also, you know, and these are all women who are actresses and, and then become wrestlers um who know that their the quality of their lives and their their entire careers and their livelihoods are based upon their bodies continuing to look a certain way and to be healthy etc and this season really does kind of expand on that while also giving you a little bit of melodrama and comedy and all of the things that we've kind of come to expect from glow so i'm really excited to see what they do with the fourth season. They're saying that this is going to be the final season. So they're hopefully going to wrap up um, kind of all of the, any loose ends that have been running around. We're going to get to see some kind of resolution for these characters, but beyond anything else, just, I really love the show. It makes me happy and getting to watch it, you know, again, and having that, that completion is, I think, going to be just loads of fun. Like It really is fantastic. Everyone who has not watched it needs to go see it now. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, I've, I saw a couple of episodes because I was doing some interview prep, and it was one of those things where I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. I want to go back and watch more. And I just have not had time because there's been so much... Uh, so much to see but I'm really excited that it's getting a fourth season even though it's sad that it's going to be the final one and it'll be over but um, but it's exciting that they get one more because it's never a sure thing and Netflix likes to likes to wait for so long <laughs> and torture people yeah. before they announce if they're going to do it and so, so I'm glad that they're getting that fourth season because they tend to cancel things after three and then also that they've let everybody know already this is it so you can go in prepared and and uh yeah it's good
0: yeah they're they're Um, ending on their own terms they're going to end on their own terms so there isn't going to be i do feel that if they had cut it off with this last season that there would have been a sense of i think that the arc works but there would have been a sense of like but i need to know kind of the resolution of some of this and i'm glad that they're actually going to get to get to sit down and be like okay now it's over and here's how we're going to end it, however that happens to be. And I don't know. It's it's such it's such a good show. And female creators, female directors, female writers, really focused on femininity and different kinds of femininity, and just some great actresses also. And it's it's also hilarious. It's so.
1: awesome. It's awesome. Uh, yeah. So there you go. And so that'll be out sometime in twenty twenty. Uh, release date, exact, exact release date's not known yet, but that's okay. And then, uh, let's see. Oh, yes. Along the lines of Netflix, streaming wars. So there was an interesting tweet that came out this week that was listing basically all the major streaming services. And this just made my bank account sigh sadly. (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, We already, of course, know Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Criterion, uh, CBS All Access. Those have been around for a while. And then we've got Disney Plus is coming in November. We know that. But then there's... And I mean, I have a Roku, so I've got hundreds of channels at my disposal. Most of them, though, are free, and they'll run commercials. But you can watch their programming for free. I've seen all kinds of cool stuff on Tubi, for example... Because you don't have to pay for it. And they have all kinds of interesting movies. But then we've also got Apple TV coming. Apple TV Plus, I guess, is like an expanded version of that. HBO Max, which I really... I thought I understood what that was, but it turns out maybe I don't, because I thought it was very clear it's not associated with HBO or Cinemax, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's Warner <laughs> Brothers streaming service, but apparently some of the HBO programming is going to be on there, so I don't, I don't know. HBO Max, it's a thing, but you can't access... So it's stupid because you can't access all your HBO stuff. So it's like if I say, oh, okay, great. I'm going to sign up for HBO Max instead. I still have to keep HBO Go because otherwise I won't be able to access all the
0: shows. Only some of them. It's exhausting. This seems like a recipe for disaster, to be honest. (laughs) But go on. Well, that's a thing.
1: Yeah, that's a thing. And what I've been saying since all this started, even really since Disney Plus announced that they were launching a couple years ago that everybody's gonna throw their hat in the ring and then it's gonna be let's see what sticks and Mm -hmm. i mean some of this is a little bit of what i was asking for years ago because if you sign up for cable you get a million things that you don't want and didn't pay don't you're not really paying for that and it would be nice if you could sign up for cable and just pick like oh i want these 30 channels and that's all you get because that's all you're paying for but of course they have to throw in like the hsn and a million news channels and things not because they know people not because they think people want that but because that's what pays so that you can they can keep the cable costs a little lower um and i understand that but then you end up with 50 channels of stuff that you'll never ever watch and so partly this is like oh yeah this is kind of exactly what i was asking for a long time ago but then it's like you start looking at the prices of all these things and it's like to subscribe to everything and stay in the loop and stay in the know you end up having to pay way more than you would for cable or at least the same amount for a good a good cable service. And so it's not actually saving anybody any money and it's just it's it feels like a bubble that's about to burst. Some of these are not going to make it. I really don't know that Peacock is gonna make it but then I also said the same thing about CBS All Access and then they started doing like Twilight Zone and now they've got this new Picard show that I'm interested in it's like I keep just forgetting to cancel the free trial I started because I needed to get access to the Super Bowl back in February, and signed up for a free week, and I've been paying for it ever since. And I occasionally watch stuff on there, but it's like, yeah, I'm just throwing away six bucks every month because I forget to cancel it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and but I guess there are a lot of people watching it, and they're able to keep it going. So it's like maybe it will be the same for Peacock, which is this NBC one. I don't know. It's just it's a lot and i'm tired and i have so much stuff i never <laughs> ever get around to watching <laughs> it's like i seriously have this thought all the time like the other day i was scrolling through looking for stuff to see and i really wish roku would have like a master um like a master library page and you can search for stuff and that's fine but i wish that you could just go in And like a Just Watch app for Roku that's in the Roku, I think that would be awesome. Because then it's like, oh, what do I feel like watching? Oh, I want to watch whatever. And Mm -hmm. what movies are available? And then you just can scroll through all the movies that are available on all your services. That would be awesome. I wish they would do that. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) I don't know. Lauren, you have thoughts. I know you have thoughts. Yeah, I always have thoughts, don't I? Um, And I'm glad you do.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I'm kind of, I'm sort of with you at the level that a lot of this is just beginning to look like cable. But what I like about it is that it's, it's pay per channel cable. So One of the things that I always hate about cable is the same thing that you're saying, is that you can get, you know, so you, you pay to get 100 channels, or 200 channels, or 500 channels, or whatever. But three quarters of those things are, are just not stuff that I want to watch. And you're kind of tied also to when stuff is on. Mm-hmm. Now we kind of have all of this stuff on demand, basically. And different, you know, and different episodes will be released at different times. But you still have this kind of, this option about, okay, this is what I want to watch, this is what I don't want to watch, and this is what I want to pay for. I'm probably not going to pay for Disney+. Plus. I am definitely not going to get Apple TV. I'm not going to get Peacock. I don't have any interest in CBS All Access. Um, that means that, for me personally, I don't get to watch certain shows, but I also don't feel a deep loss of getting to watch certain shows. Uh, I'm not a big television person. I t- I am one of those people. I will rewatch Bob's Burgers fifty times, but it takes a lot to make me start a new TV show. Um, so but I I like the option of being able to choose that. Just like okay, I can choose to pay for this this and this, but I don't have to choose to pay for anything else, which I do have to do with cable ultimately i i agree with you i think i think that some of these are going to do really well i have a feeling that disney plus is going to do incredibly well because of what they're offering and because of the scope and the popularity of a lot of the things that they're offering i am less certain about something like peacock um i don't know about cbs all access cbs all access and some of these others seem to kind of hang themselves on particular shows so the twilight zone um, for HBO Game of Thrones, uh, stuff like that. So it's it'll be interesting to see how long those kind of stations last. When those shows either are defunct or when people have watched their run and are like, okay, now I'm going to stop. I mean, I admit I I got a, um, a free subscription to Showtime for a month so that I could watch all of Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh when when Twin Tweaks the Return was on. After that, I canceled it because that was the only thing that I wanted to watch. Um so I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> but that I mean that's that's what I did. And I think a lot of people do that. That they're like, okay, there's this one show that I want to see, I'm gonna subscribe for a month, or I'm gonna get a free trial, and then I'm gonna cancel it because that's really all that I wanted to to watch. Um yeah, some of these things are going to do well, some of them are not. I think that things like Netflix and Amazon are going to stick around for a long time because they have a combination of original programming and older programming, both in, te- in television and in um, in films. I think the stuff like the Criterion channel has a similar element that they're a boutique streaming service, but they have a lot and they keep on adding more and more things you know i could if i had to cancel everything else i would still keep the criterion channel because that has a just a lot of content that i want to see so what this is how this is ultimately going to play out i think is going to be an open question and we're going to you know and it it might not be answered for another five or ten years uh at the end of the day i have a feeling that some of these are going to vanish within the next couple of years simply because they don't justify the expenditure um, but we're we're just gonna have to wait and see. I think the whole idea that this being like the streaming wars or whatever is like, eh, it's kind of, it's cable. Like you're talking about cable, but you're talking about cable, b- better because I don't have to pay for 15 ESPNs. Exactly. Um, that I'm never gonna watch anyways. And I, I mean, even I stayed at a hotel with my parents um, a, a a couple weeks ago and. We, and it had television, so I was just, like, clicking through the hundred channels that the hotel room had, and there was literally nothing that I wanted to watch. Like, nothing. I watched the end of a Bob's Burgers episode and the beginning of a John Oliver episode, but that was it. Everything else was just crap. Why would I ever consider paying for that again? Exactly. I
1: mean, I do have YouTube TV, just so that I can get local stuff, but... Um... But yeah, I wouldn't pay for a full cable subscription again because I just don't need to. There's, there's just so many other things that I'd rather watch. And, and and I agree with you. I mean, the nice thing about these streaming wars is like I can pick pick and choose what I want. Other people can pick and choose what they want. We don't all have to watch the same things. And so a lot of these, I think, services will survive Because of the fact that they apply... They they tap into particular interests. And so they'll be able to reach out to the people that do want them. And that are interested Mm in them. What I don't like is the idea that... You know, a lot of stuff I've watched over the years. TV and and movies. I've done that through Amazon or through Netflix. And as they parcel out and start... You know, now if NBC is going to have its own. Then all of its programming is probably going to end up going to this Peacock network, which means that I won't yeah. be able to watch reruns of Friends or The Good Place or whatever anywhere else besides their service if I subscribe to it. So th- those are the kinds of things where I'm like, oh. But at the same time, is it worth paying another subscription? That's a decision I'll have to make when the time comes. Yeah. Exactly. So, um yeah, let's see. So there was a fun tweet this week. We get these these interesting conversations going on Twitter uh, pretty regularly, I think, about people that are kind of essential, movies that are essential, TV shows that are essential. And so this is one, thank you for, for including this, Lauren. But this is from Matt Johnson, who is at Matt underscore Johnson on Twitter. And he tweeted earlier this week, I find it obvious yet fascinating how earlier 20th century American megastars like Shirley Temple, Charlie Chaplin, W.C. Fields, etc., who were still present on the periphery of my Gen X childhood imagination, don't exist on my kids' radar at all. And I think about that a lot. Like, I'll, I'll, I work with college kids, and I'll mention someone that was like everywhere when I was a kid, and they have no idea who I'm talking about. And that's not even these guys, you know, and. It's, it's an interesting thing. Um, I know Lauren, you, you talk a lot about, about remembering our history, especially film history. So what do you, what do you have to say about this?
0: Well, I, I think that what he's saying is actually interesting because one of the things that he seems to be saying is that there are certain figures that were very prevalent in particular generations, even if you didn't necessarily see their films. Like, Um, and I think that someone actually in response to him pointed out that, uh, that there were certain figures like Chaplin, like W.C. Fields, who for whatever reason were still kind of a nostalgic, uh, kind of popular, had a certain nostalgic popularity Mm -hmm. in Gen X, even if, you know, you weren't necessarily sitting down and watching all of them, you know, your parents weren't necessarily showing them to you. So they, they had a presence in the broader culture. Um, and I mean, I do remember, I'm not Gen X, I'm, I'm a millennial, but I remember being a kid and my parents were very much into wanting me to see a lot of film. They loved film. Um, they still love film. They, and they wanted to introduce me to certain things that they thought I would like. So one of my first entrances into classic film was the Marx Brothers. Um, because my parents were right. They absolutely appealed to a small child, you know? They're funny, they're kinetic, there's a lot of activity, there's a lot of, you know, speech, the films are fairly short, all of that. So I was introduced to certain figures uh, throughout my childhood because of what my parents wanted to do. I never saw them on television. I never saw, we didn't have cable. Um, It was never, so it was was really what my parents chose to expose me to, even though I don't really recall that the Merckx brothers were, particularly prevalent in society or anything else so one of the things that kind of bothers me about some of these tweets and about some of these attitudes of just like well it it comes off as well when I was a kid or kids these days uh sort of response it's like well kids these days have a particular awareness of the people that are around them and of their culture but it's also about Who We choose to introduce kids to you know if you think that it's really important that your kids know who Chaplin and Keaton and the Marx Brothers are then show them those films and you can and one of the nice things about streaming and about YouTube is that most of those films are available Uh, Particularly like Chaplin and Keaton many of whom are in the public domain Um, And so you can actually sit your kids down and be like hey watch this you know let's watch the general or something although I wouldn't totally recommend the general (laughs)
1: Maybe not to start out.
0: Not for small children. I watched it when I was a small (laughs) child and I was really bored by it. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I got a little bit older and was like, oh, this is actually really good. But, but yeah, it's, it's That was a Jeopardy
1: answer the other day, by the way, and nobody got it right. It made me sad.
0: Oh, no, The General? Yeah. Nobody knew what it was. (laughs) But, I mean, I do, I do think that it, it is important, that film history is important, and that as adults it's also important. You know, we've talked a lot about the number of people that are film critics who call themselves film critics that haven't seen or are, are unaware of a lot of classic film and a lot of film history. And, you know, again, it's not like saying that you have to have seen every single film but you do have to have some kind of a working knowledge of that and that's important. So even if you weren't exposed to it as a child, you should be experiencing it now. Um, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting issue, but I also think that we have a degree of responsibility to continue to talk about these films and these stars, particularly the ones that are very important. Um, It's funny though, like W.C. Fields was never on my radar. Shirley Temple never on my radar. She was never a part of my life. Astaire and Rogers were, uh, and that was very much down to who my parents valued and also what was available in our video store. Uh, and, and what they thought I would actually like. And like and I know I know this for a fact. my dad like absolutely hates Charlie Temple. <laughs> <laughs> and would not have shown that to me probably because he would have been terrified that I would have gotten into like you know animal crackers and just sung it 50 times or something
1: like that. <laughs> you definitely would have.
0: <laughs> uh I totally would have at that age, but just to annoy him actually. But mm-hmm. um yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, see my mom was super into Shirley Temple and I never could get into her. But she tried. My mom tried to impart that to me and it just, you know, it didn't take off, but at least I had that introduction. You know, and a lot of the classic stuff I watched was because my mom loved it. There'd be something coming on TV, and she'd be like, "Here, watch this with me," you know, or, or a lot of times I would just be flipping the channels on a Saturday, bored, and some old movie would be on, and I would just start watching it, and that was an option back then. It's not really an option now. Nowadays, this is one of the drawbacks with all the streaming services is typically. You don't scroll through. I mean, I don't know how everybody else streams stuff, but, you know, a lot of times you go through, you're looking for a particular thing. So you go to that streaming service to watch that thing. Or if you're really just trying to find something to watch, their algorithms suggest stuff to you based on other things that you've watched. Criterion's the only one that has really interesting curation so far, although some of the others are starting to toy with that idea. But, by and large, it's really difficult to just stumble upon these these old and forgotten gems and to discover some of these things for ourselves. And I think that you kind of brought up the point, too, of, like, and I like your comment, to this, to Matt Johnson, of show your kids their movies. <laughs> you know, like, this is the thing. A big part of the reason that we had the experiences that we had, you and I, is because of our parents, and that's yeah. really important. And I was scrolling through reading some of these comments, and this one... I think illustrates the point perfectly because this guy says I sat my teenage daughter down to watch Forrest Gump and while she enjoyed the flick I had to keep pausing the movie to explain most of the history Forrest was bungling through she had no context for most of the most of the flick and it's like well now wait a minute whose responsibility is that like yeah you're expecting her to just know history who's gonna teach her that history
0: Well, true story. I remember seeing Forrest Gump and I don't remember how old I was when I was a kid, but my parents kind of had to do the same thing in that I did not understand, like I did not understand that they were putting him into famous like pictures Uh and integrating things like that. Like I, it just didn't process with me. And so they were like, Oh, that's, you know, that's Richard Nixon. This is the (laughs) Vietnam war, you know? And my parents were, you know, very much into, you know, we're going to educate our daughter about about history and about all of these different things and kind of impart this stuff to me. But it just wasn't something that I was aware of. That was when the movie came out, people. Like, mm-hmm. that was... So, kids Kids don't necessarily have an awareness of those things. And you do have to tell them about it. You do have to educate them in it. Exactly. Um, otherwise, they don't know. Like, you know, who the hell knows? So, I... We can't blame, you know a 10 year old kid or a 14 year old kid or a 15 year old kid for not knowing about someone if we never ever talk about them or tell them like hey you love let's let's watch a wc fields movie and like you're saying sometimes the kids aren't gonna like it but they might you know and maybe if they don't like wc fields maybe they'll like Abbott and costello maybe they'll like
1: Laurel and Hardy, or
0: Or Laurel and Hardy, or see again. It it was like the Marx Brothers were big for me. Laurel and Hardy never. I was much older when I began watching Laurel and Hardy, just because of the nature of like my upbringing, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but you have to introduce your kids to things that you think are important.
1: Mm -hmm. At ten, I was obsessed with I Love Lucy. Obsessed. (laughs) kids now my nephew's never seen i love lucy and it's weird because i loved her my sister-in-law his mom was obsessed with her he couldn't care less and it's like why didn't you introduce it to him maybe it would have stuck if you had you know just try it out just just try things
0: well and those things are available that's the thing those things are important so you know, yeah, your, your kids are always going to. I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted to watch Rainbow Bright, you know, it, which mm-hmm. is not a great anything. Um, But my parents were like, "Well, why, why don't we watch Abbott Costello instead?" It's like, and I liked it, so you you have to you have to do that. Like, I I don't want. I mean, I don't have any children. I you know, I'm I'm not certain if I will ever have any children. But and I don't want to tell like parents this is how you should be educating your children, but you can't expect kids to know about things when you don't introduce them to them.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Someone's got to teach them and to some degree that can't just be on the schools and on their YouTube videos. So Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, fun. So along the lines of essentials and stuff, this week is still f- or we're still in Female Filmmaker Month. So that's Fun and exciting, Lauren. Do you have any movies you'd like to shout out for this week?
0: I was trying to think about this. I mean, I, I wanted to recommend Dorothy Arzner, but I think a lot of her films have now been taken off of Criterion, which makes me very sad. If mm. you can find her films, go go and watch them. Particularly, *Dance Girl Dance*, which is a, a fascinating film. She's she, her and Ida Lupino kind of often get paired to each other, with each other. Um, because they were working within classical Hollywood, Arzner was one of the few—I um, think one, of the only—female uh, director working within the studio system. And her films are really interesting because they're a—they—they they look like classical Hollywood films, and they've got people like Maureen O'Hara, and um, uh, Ros Russell, and Lucille Ball. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, And people like that in the films, but they're, they are very feminine perspectives and they deal with very similar, you know, they're often melodramas, um, comedies, musicals, and they deal with pretty similar things. Like they look like these very golden age of cinema movies and then you really begin to pay attention to them in the way that they're photographed, the way that the cinematography works, the way that, um. The, the way that the scripts are written, she, she worked with a lot of female screenwriters, uh, even in films that were based on stories by men. And there's just a different attitude that comes through. And, you know, we talk, we've talked about the female gaze, but there is a difference in approach when a woman is directing and when a woman is largely in control of what you're seeing on screen and what you're hearing on screen. Uh, and so I really recommend her films, some of them are kind of ridiculous, like Christopher Strong is one of the weirdest films I've seen, but Kate Hepburn gives a fantastic performance. Um, Craig's Wife, which is uh, an adaptation of a of a play, uh, but is a really fascinating film, uh, and Dance Girl Dance is like kind of her, one of her biggest ones, and um, is, is just a, a fascinating movie largely for the fact that again there are it's primarily about women and focused on women There are not that many men that are actually in the film so i do if you could seek out some dorothy arzner definitely check her out
1: that's awesome i love that um i i definitely need to watch some of her stuff because i haven't but um yeah i am just going to take a minute to mention this movie has come up a couple of times i think but uh i just want to mention late night which is streaming on amazon prime yeah this this one is so funny it's mindy kaling wrote it and nisha ganatra directed it so yay women directors and screenwriters mindy kaling also stars alongside emma thompson and it's really it's just a funny good movie. Emma Thompson plays this late night talk show host in a world that is completely dominated by men and that has taken a toll on her and and has kind of formed the person that she has become in this long career that she's had and she's lost her lost her competitive edge and has just been kind of coasting and Mindy Kaling is brought in as some fresh blood really originally she's brought in as you know the um the diversity hire but uh the the mix the combination of them really just just sparks something new and it's awesome and it's funny and i love it and uh so go watch that this week do yourself that favor if you haven't already seen it
0: and i do i do want to give a quick shout out it is the anniversary of jennifer's body Yes. The horror film starring Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried, uh, directed by Karen Kusama. go see it. It is so much better than the way it was marketed. <laughs> <laughs> it's not streaming for free anywhere because I looked, no. but you
1: can rent it for two ninety nine on Amazon or yeah. Redbox or whatever. Just just do it and see this. I think Jennifer's Body is one of those we come back to as an example of why we need more diverse voices in film criticism. Because that was a movie that was marketed badly and then totally blasted by male critics. But when you listen to the discourse now and hear what people are saying now, uh, particularly female writers, it's a totally different conversation. And this is why you need those, those different voices. This is exactly why. I mean, just look at what happened with Hustlers last week, too, where all these men are like, I can't relate to these characters. Like, yeah, there's a reason for that.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Richard Brody's review is hilarious because really is. he's trying so hard to find a male character. <laughs> so hard. And it's like, dude they're not there because they're not important. Like, I'm sorry. It's just like, but I want to know more about Doug or whatever. It's just like, no one wants to know more about Doug.
1: (laughs) No, Doug was an idiot. Doug (laughs) didn't get necessarily get what he deserved, but dude, he shouldn't have been there in the first (laughs) place. Okay. That's all you need to know about Doug is he shouldn't have been there.
0: Oh my God.
1: Anyway. So, um, yeah, go watch movies by women. Yay. Uh, Let's see. We got a couple of questions this year. Actually, this is uh, kind of going off of the Matt Johnson tweet a little bit. This is kind of a good um, companion question, I think. Um, From Mason Perrier, which is at Unstoppable Rant. Are there any renowned legendary actors from the 30s, 40s, or 50s era of Hollywood that you think are bland, annoying, and or terrible? yes (laughs)
0: yes <laughs> many <laughs> lauren <laughs> Who would you like, like to sh- cracking my knuckles here <laughs> to kim, kim, is, kim is gonna come after me i don't know um yes. yeah
1: basically all of kim's met no, I'm <laughs> We're
0: sorry kim uh yes jerry lewis
1: thank you Oh
0: god i hate jerry lewis like i know everyone's like oh he was actually really intelligent i was just like i don't care he was a misogynist dick and that's how he came up on screen um i did like him
1: in the king of comedy and that is it
0: (laughs) (laughs) some of his later his later career i think is actually more interesting but kind of in his heyday like no absolutely not um uh gregory peck Okay, I again people are going to come after me for this. Gregory Peck is so fucking boring to me. Like every time he pops up in a film, I'm like, "Oh my god, kill me." Like you he, I and I know why cuz he's just like this very bland American hero, and I just could not care less about him. Uh, Glenn Ford is another one. Glenn Ford. I'm. I'm always like, why would any woman go to such lengths for Glenn Ford? <laughs> like no one. Like Rita Hayworth would not. Would not care what Glenn Ford thought of her. I'm sorry. Um, and I, and I'm actually. Uh, I'm going to get canceled, just like John Oliver was. Um, I, I actually find Jimmy Stewart really boring particularly as he got older like I think that some of his later roles I'm just very bored by him and when he was young he got kind of the cute sort of lankiness but as he got older I was just like I don't I don't care about you like go away some basically I feel like every single one of his films there's another actor that could have done it better so that's sort of my attitude
1: I disagree about uh, mr. Smith goes to Washington I think that was right in his wheelhouse. But, I mean, I love Jimmy Stewart. Most of the reason I love him is because he just reminds me so much of my grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved my grandpa a lot. Like, we were really close. And so, I think that's that's why I love Jimmy Stewart so much. But, I mean, I agree with you. He wasn't the greatest actor. and And a lot of his stuff was just fine. But I do think that Mr. Smith Goes to Washington was, like, tailor-made for his abilities. So, I'll defend that one. And I love that movie so much. Um, Man, I don't... I think that my problem is that I just don't know enough of the... St- I've seen a lot of movies from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, but I don't know enough of the individual stars. Like, I've seen just so specific movies that I can't really think of anybody. So... Sorry about that. I think your list is good. I do agree Glenn Ford. <laughs>
0: <laughs> For We're sure. so sorry, Kim. We're sorry. <laughs> Just we don't understand.
1: <laughs> no, I don't I don't get it. I don't. But we had another question. This one is from Ryan McQuaid who is at Ryan McQuaid 777. What are some of your favorite documentaries of the year?
0: Uh I for a minute I was actually like, have I actually seen any documentaries? But I have, and one of I, I, everyone needs to see this movie, American Factory. Oh, I keep meaning to watch that. It is. I, I think it's on Netflix now. It is. Yeah. Um. It it is amazing. I mean, if you were not a socialist before, you're going to be a socialist after this movie is over. Uh. It it's. It, it, I, I cannot express how good it is like it is just so it's very well constructed it made me furious everyone that I know who has seen it has just left being being like I am mad and I'm going to go burn something down kind of thing um, it, it's a great film so I, I really recommend American Factory uh, at the heart of gold which I've talked about numerous times is the the film about the uh, US Olympic uh, gymnastics team and uh, Larry Nasser. Great film, very difficult to watch, but really well done. So those two, I think, are are two of the best ones that I've seen this year.
1: Cool. Yeah, I'm woefully behind on watching documentaries. I did see Apollo 11, and I thought it was pretty good. Um, I think that watching it at home on my TV really lost something, though. I think Mm -hmm. this is one that definitely should have been seen on a big screen. And because this is just one of those big, loud movies so i feel like i missed out on something but i I thought it was good i i it actually solidified what i didn't like about first man which was the way ryan gosling portrayed neil armstrong because this movie clearly demonstrates that he had a personality because this is archival (laughs) footage of him and so it's like yep thank you for confirming that i was right about first man which was also really well made but kind of boring um but yeah apollo 11 is good but it definitely i didn't get to see the grandness of it i also love knock down the house which Uh. is on netflix it's known as the aoc documentary but it's not just about her there are four women whose campaigns it follows and i mean i'm a lifelong conservative and I haven't been a big fan of a o c and i'm I don't agree with a lot of the stuff that she does, and I didn't necessarily agree with a lot of the stuff these women were were campaigning for as far as their their political ideologies. but I really love this film because I think that this this is such a great look at the inner workings of politics for people that are outsiders I mean these are women who were not part of the the political machine that that primaried people in their own parties so this doesn't even get into all the political things which I think is why I was able to just get right into this movie and, and watch it and really follow their stories and just be so caught up in in cheering for these people that I normally would be like oh no we need to defeat them you know uh my outlook has changed a lot in the last couple of years politically but um, <laughs> but I really just, I I admired these four women so much. And the fact that they were able to construct something that made me cry, like cry, sobbing, watching AOC react to learning that she just won the, the primary was just like, which spoiler alert, if you didn't watch the news, she got elected. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, so, but just, just the way that they are able to construct that and make me just so invested in their journey, these women that I wouldn't have voted for probably. Uh, I mean, if the dif- if the choice was two Democrats, I might have. But you know. Uh, I don't know who I would have voted for. It doesn't matter. And that's the point is it doesn't matter. This is a great documentary that anybody can watch no matter which side of the political spectrum they're on because it's about these people and about what they're trying to do and how they're rising up and fighting back to take back the country from people who have just squandered their, their jobs and have wasted their time and have not been representing their people for a really long time. And it's so admirable. So I loved this film it's still one of my top 10 of the year and I don't know if that'll change but it's so great and then there's another one that I saw that has not gotten distribution I saw this back at Sundance and I I don't know why it didn't get out into the world but it's called Gaza and it's this guy Andrew McConnell wait do I have the right person yeah Andrew McConnell he directed it And he's the cinematographer on it. And he started off interested in going into Gaza and making a short documentary about the surfing club that they have had there for years. And while he was there, war broke out. The people were under attack. And he started to see what's really going on in Gaza. And it's so much different than what we see on the news they leave so much out of what's happening and part of what makes this documentary in particular so powerful is it talks about the fact that because of everything and this isn't this is one that doesn't necessarily say like israel is entirely wrong here because it talks about how the people that live in those settlements in those camps and the refugee camps and everything they're pawns for both sides and they're being used by both sides and the problem is it's like it doesn't really matter who's responsible for their situation the fact is that by by next year the gaza strip is going to be almost entirely uninhabitable and there are a lot of people that are still there that can't get out because they don't have anywhere to go and they don't have any way to get there and it's a very powerful documentary that I think people need to see. And so even though it's not really readily available, it is popping up at some festivals still. So if it happens to be near you and you get the chance, go see it because it's it's just... The people that they talk to are just really incredible. And I got the opportunity to interview Andrew McConnell and the editor of, of the film too. And I mean, Andrew just you could see just by talking to him I sat across the table from him face to face and when I would talk to him about his experiences you could just see how haunted he was by what he saw this isn't someone who's just trying to make a name for himself this isn't someone who's just trying to use these people to further his career he did this film because he really cares about these people and he really wants the truth to get out there and of course a lot of people have vested interests in not letting it be out there and I think that that's really why it's not getting getting traction but it needs to so seek it out find it it's 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 stuck with me all year unlike a lot of other films i've seen so yeah
0: interesting
1: anyway all right so let's talk about some other things so you got to see atlantics for a new york film festival
0: yes this was the first film i got to see in a press screening at new york film festival because i've I've had, unfortunately, I've had other deadlines and other things that I have to get done first because they give me money to do it. Uh, Boo deadlines! Yeah, deadlines <laughs> suck. But um, but I did get to go see Atlantic. This was one that I really wanted to see. It is a um, it's a film by a Senegalese filmmaker named uh, Maddie Diop who uh, went back to to Senegal to make this film, and. It's kind of been billed as like a horror film or, or a ghost story, which it isn't. It, it is and it isn't. It actually does more interesting things than I think it's being given credit for. Um, so it's, it's a fascinating film. Basically, it is about a, a young construction worker uh, named Suleiman who is being exploited by his rich boss. And he is in love with Ada, who is a, a young woman who is engaged to be married to uh, another much wealthier man. And basically, Suleiman and his coworkers decide that rather than continue to basically live on promises because they're not being paid for the work that they're doing, they decide to get into a boat and to cross over to Spain where they hope they'll be able to get jobs. And the boat vanishes. So the most of the film is actually about Ada and uh, and her feelings about Suleiman and all of the other women who are left behind to sort of deal with the fact that they don't know what's happened to to these men. They don't know if they made it to Spain or if their boat was wrecked or what has happened to them. And it builds out of that. And there is a ghost story, hallucinatory element to it uh when during um, during uh, one of Ada's wedding celebrations, her bridal bed spontaneously erupts into flames. I
1: hate when that happens.
0: <laughs> and it kind of all and then the, the film sort of takes a turn after that and that's when we get into some of more of the ghost story zombie story um, elements of it, but it really it's a gorgeous film. It is a very slow paced film i was actually expecting it to be a lot faster and a lot a lot more horror like than it actually is but i think that once you get into the rhythm of it it's it's just beautiful it is this wonderful love story um a freaky sometimes humorous ghost story also so there's actually a lot of humor and a lot of stuff about uh the decisions that women have to make within a fairly closed society and within a society where, you know, you can be in love with one man and more or less be required to marry another one. And that that's sort of almost being acceptable to your parents and to your friends and the choices that you have to make as a result of that. It is a fascinating film, and I really recommend that people, like, go see it and go into it without, you know, some of the, some of the hype has been... Some of the hype has treated the film as something that it isn't and I think it does a disservice to it because you're going to go in and think it's one thing and then it turns out to be another. But what it is, is really beautiful and really fantastic so I, I highly recommend it. This is, this is one that has been getting a lot of play at different festivals and has gotten a lot of good hype as a result but you have to go in recognizing that it is going to be slow, it is going to build itself very slowly and it's not going to be exactly what you expect.
1: That sounds really interesting. I ha- It's one of those that I hadn't really read much about what it even was. Uh-huh. Uh, I've just been kind of waiting until I get the opportunity to see it. and um, But yeah, that sounds cool. I'm excited. Um, let's see. All right. So this week I saw a couple of movies that I haven't already talked about. <laughs> <laughs> um, yesterday I went to a... Focus Features had this really fun event for Downton Abbey. Did you ever watch the show? I never watched the show. Oh my gosh, I was obsessed with it. I I was living with roommates when it first debuted, and so they started watching it probably right away and i think it was probably episode three or four they were talking about it one day and i was like what are you guys talking about like oh my gosh it's this new show you gotta watch it so i did and i was hooked and it's it's just it's so fun and so just delightful it's one of those it's it it's not that it doesn't deal with heavy things it really does but it does it in a way that never feels burdensome i guess or or too heavy um it's just a good show. I really loved it. And so I was excited about the movie. And it's it's funny because I think that this actually, this definitely plays more for people who are fans of the show. Which has been off the air for four years. And so I don't think they're necessarily trying to find a new audience. And trying to draw in people that hadn't ever watched it before. This really does feel like a movie that is for the fans. But at the same time, I've actually seen it twice now because I saw it a couple weeks ago. And then I saw it again yesterday. And now that I've had some time to kind of ruminate on it and watching it again yesterday. And having talked to a couple of people who saw it now that never watched the show. I'm realizing there's actually a lot more accessibility to it than I thought. So um, it's just, it's fun. It's, it's, you know, it's the typically lighthearted but still dealing with some important things in a really good way and it's just fun to revisit people that I love and that I just feel like I, I've missed a little bit so I thoroughly enjoy it I'm glad that they decided to do a big theatrical release and and uh, when they could have I originally thought well it would have made more sense to do this as you know like a TV movie during one of PBS's pledge drives like, hey, we have this new Downton Abbey movie. That would have made sense. But I'm glad that they did it on the big screen. Because it was fun to see this big, you know, a little bit bigger, a little bit more spectacular view of, of the house and of the people. And doing this royal visit thing, which is part of the story. It, just, it was just fun. And I enjoyed it. And I love the fact that they're having all these events nationwide. Where they're having, like, tea parties at movie theaters. Like, it's oh just God. fun. They're, they've really turned this into an event. And I love it. I love it. It makes me happy.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But if you're not a fan and you're not interested, it's fine. You're not missing anything by not going to see this movie. It's not going to be like winning a bunch of awards. I mean, you'll miss the amazing Maggie Smith and Penelope Wilson barbs because they are so funny together. And this one has Imelda Staunton, too. So the three of them, it's just like, ah, it's gold. I love it. I love it i actually think you'd enjoy the show lauren i think you should check it out sometime in all your free time
0: i yeah i have i have mixed feelings i have mixed feelings about that era of sort of like the sort of romanticization of the british upper classes of that era um because on the one hand i do like that kind of fluffy oh this is very comforting and nice and on the other hand i'm just like workers uprising (laughs) Um,
1: well but that's (laughs) what i love though is that it 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 makes the focus equally on the people upstairs as downstairs. And so you really do get, you get just as invested. And I was actually talking with the director about this. You get just as invested in the people that are, that are serving these rich folks and in their stories. And so excited for them when things are going well in their lives. And so sad for them when things aren't. As you do with the people that, that they work for. And so I, re- I think that's what makes the show work so well. Is that it it just gives you this whole picture of everybody that lives under the roof of this this big, gorgeous castle, basically. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, Yeah, so then I also apparently Ad Astra exists guys because I saw it <laughs> uh, no, I, there's I...
0: A, no movie is called that no it was, movie
1: <laughs> it was so funny because I walked into the theater last night and <laughs> normally so I got there about 10 minutes before the the show time and normally at AMC they have this this like whole for about 30 minutes before they have some stuff running, you know, it's like Maria Menounos introducing new programs that are coming up and, and, you know, get a closer look at this or that some commercials, all that kind of thing. They didn't have any of that. I walked in and it was a blank screen and I was like, (laughs) yep, I knew it. I knew it. It's not real. (laughs) Uh, But uh, no, it does exist. I did watch it. Brad Pitt is inhumanly beautiful. And, uh, but I'm still trying to figure out how I really felt about the movie because there were some things about it that as someone who grew up not having a great relationship with her father and still, I mean, we've come to, we've made peace, but we're still not close. It's more like an uncle type thing, you know? And so because of that, I felt really drawn into this, this relationship that he does not have with his father, who is played by Tommy Lee Jones. The movie itself is basically, I don't know how to explain it without spoiling things, but basically Brad Pitt plays a guy who, I don't think he's really an astronaut. It's set in the near future, so Jobs have changed. They've jo- they've built this giant antenna that they've talked about for years. That like goes all the way up to space, and he kind of works on that. So he's I think he's more of like a like an engineer of some sort. But there are these power surges that are happening all over Earth, and, and they're trying to get to the bottom of it. And what had happened is that almost thirty years before, his father, played by Tommy Lee Jones, went on this mission into deep space. They were going to the outer planets of the solar system and they lost contact, disappeared, didn't know what happened to the crew. And these power surges are originating from Neptune, like from the area near Neptune, which is the last known area where Tommy Lee Jones was. And they have reason to believe that he's the cause of this. And so basically they're trying to reach out to him. They're trying to establish reestablish contact. And Brad Pitt gets involved for different reasons and but it's the thing about this movie is it's so much not about the plot it's really very introspective and it's it's more just about this man who has based his life choices on The things that he saw his father do. His father left when he was 16 though. And went on this big important mission. And he never got to see him again. And and he's felt that loss. And that hole in his life. And that has really dictated. And directed a lot of the choices that he's made. And he's had to face consequences. Because of that. But he's also just always felt like something was missing. And so he has this really strong desire. To reconnect with his father. And so for that it's like yeah. I could go along with it. And I could really. I could really get on board and and feel a lot of what he feels. I mean, Brad Pitt does a great job. This is a really good performance from him. But then there are other things about it. When you start really breaking down things that happen in the movie and some of the plot points, it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And why would they do this? And how could that happen? You know, so there's a lot of that too. So it's like, I'm still trying to really settle on where I feel about how I feel about this film as a whole. But I do think that it gets into some really interesting things, and I think if you're a fan of Brad Pitt and want to see him do some good work, I think this is definitely one to check out. But it's not a it's not a strong story driven film, and mm-hmm. so for that reason, I know a lot of people found it, found it very boring, and I definitely understand that it was hard to sit and stay focused on it when I was watching it 10:30 at, at night. So uh, so I definitely get why people would would find it boring I didn't find it boring um, but it's it's very slow moving and that's intentional that's not because they didn't know how to pace it it's it's intended to be that way and um, yeah so I I think that I think that whether I recommend this or not really just entirely unlike a lot of other things that I would say like oh go watch this this is one that I think entirely depends on your level of interest if you're not interested (laughs) in this movie you're not going to be won over by it
0: you know, does that make sense? Yeah, that does. No, that, that does. But I, I was just thinking of myself just like, okay, so not me. Yeah,
1: no, I, I don't think you would. I don't think you would enjoy it. Although I'd be very curious to talk with you about it after you see it. Because I am really curious what you would say about it.
0: Uh, again, I think this is going to be one of those that I might see if I if I don't have something else to do, but I have a feeling that it's going to probably pass out of the cinemas before I get a chance.
1: Probably. Yeah. So, um, well, that's going to wrap things up. I think, is there anything else that you
0: No, I think that's it. I'm looking forward to seeing some more uh, New York film festival films this week. Once once I've gotten up. Uh, I know that I've got pain and glory coming up. I've got portrait of a lady on fire. Um, there are a few, like some of the smaller foreign films that are, that look kind of interesting that I would really, that I'd really like to see. I do have, um, first cow, which is Kelly Reichardt's latest film. And maybe, maybe The Irishman. I keep on talking with people who are like, "No, you have to go see The Irishman." And I'm like, "But I don't want to sit for three and a half hours. <laughs> I don't want to." It's a, the screening is at like 9 a.m. Too. I was like, "Oh my God,
1: please, wow.
0: no." Um, but we'll see. We'll see. That is all I can say about that.
1: Breaking news: This just into Citizen Dame. Wounds with Army Hammer and Dakota Johnson and Zazie Beats will be coming to Netflix in October. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Oh, it's one of the worst movies of the year. It's so (laughs) bad and I'm so excited. (laughs)
0: Yay. Well so I'm gonna watch that, obviously. Yes.
1: Yes. I don't see the exact release date, but it's coming in October twenty nineteen, (laughs) so fun stuff. Anyway all right well i think that's gonna wrap things up for us this week uh i'm seeing jojo rabbit yeah i'm so excited i see it on tuesday i can't wait i'm just oh yeah so excited Anyway, uh, well, thank you all for listening. If you want to continue the conversation with us, there's so many ways that you can do that. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod, and we're pretty active there. We're less active on Facebook, but you can find us over there if you're so inclined. Facebook.com/slash Citizen Dame. We love emails, especially when they're happy, and that's Citizen at gmail.com you also can find lots of stuff that we're doing on our website and in fact Lauren is covering NYFF for us so she'll yeah. be posting reviews there and that is citizendamepod.com. if you'd like to support us with some dollars we love that too we thank you we love our patron patrons um, and you can find us at patreoncom dame where you can get access to bonus content. We have our our episodes up there two days early, so you get early access to that. We're going to be doing some more uh, some more bonus content in the next couple of months, so we're going to be planning that out. So uh, so it's great for as little as a dollar, you can be helping us keep the lights on here and and uh, keeping our website and our podcast hosting running. Um, maybe upgrading some equipment one of these days. So you're helping us out a lot by contributing. Uh, we also have our Zazzle store with lots of fun merch in there. Zazzle.com slash Citizen Dame. We've had some fun things there, but we'll be adding more to it in the next few weeks, I think, as well. And then if you don't want to make a commitment and you don't need a new t-shirt, but you want to help us out anyway, we have a Ko-Fi account. That's coko fi f-i dot com slash citizen dame and you can find us individually Lauren where are you
0: I am at LH business
1: and I am at Karen M Peterson so thank you so much for listening to our ramblings and we hope you've had as much fun as we have this week we'll talk to you soon for lemonade on my bed and now I'm eating your boyfriend see at least I'm consistent why do you need him? Huh? You could have anybody that you want, Jennifer. So why Chip? Is it just to take me off? Or is it because you're just really insecure? I am not insecure, needy. God, that's a joke. How could I ever be insecure? I was the snowflake queen. Yeah. Two years ago, when you were socially relevant, I am still socially relevant. And when you didn't need laxatives to stay skinny, I am going to eat your soul and shit it oh, out, Nikki. You only murdered boys.
0: I go both ways. <gasps> <gasps>